Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Joshua chapter 6. I'm excited about this morning. We've been waiting for this moment for a long time. If you were with us uh, over the last several weeks and even months as we went through the whole book of Genesis back then, we've come to this, this point where this promise that has been made to Abraham is coming to fulfillment. And it's incredible to see what's happening here. As we get to this story on Jericho, I want to I want to say this on the front end. Here's what I understand. First off, most of you know exactly what happened in this story. And most of you probably know where I'm going to go. And I want you to know, that's exactly where I'm going. I'm, I'm praying. There's no curveballs here. There's no surprise ending. My hope is that as we look at this passage, as we dig into the Word of God, that His Holy Spirit will reiterate His truths into our hearts and move us from a place of understanding to move us to a place of application where we can act on some of the things that we've heard and we can walk out in some of these things. I want to celebrate in what God did for the Israelites at the battle of Jericho, but I want to also celebrate what God's going to be doing in our lives as well. I, I know that God gave us these stories, not so we can just look back and praise him for what happened then, but so that we can look forward to our future with confidence, with the same faith and the same courage and the same strength that the Israelites faced this. And so my hope today is that while this is familiar, is that the Holy Spirit will speak into your heart in a way that I'm incapable of doing and that you'll hear from him and God will lead us to a place of transformation, of genuine obedience and real worship. And so I'm praying that God will do that. So, Father, this is in your hands. We pray that your will will be done in us and we'll be obedient. We say yes to whatever you command us to do. So if we have to summarize this whole situation in Jericho, I'm going to be saying two words an awful lot. I'm going to be talking about fear and I'm going to be talking about faith. What you're going to see on the outside is a battle between Israel and a battle between uh, these Canaanites inside of Jericho. And while that's the, the physical battle, there's the battle that really is front and center in this passage. And that's the battle within the hearts of the Israelites between faith and fear. And to make sense of that, you kind of need some backstory. So if you've been here, forgive me. If you haven't, let's recap a little bit. What we understand is that God made a promise to Abraham that he turned him into a great nation and bring him into this incredible land where God would bless him and do some amazing things. I'm summarizing a lot there, simplifying a lot. But essentially, after several patriarchs and God expanded and grew uh, this nation out of Abraham, which started miraculously, brings 40 people in, in, into Egypt, but leaves with, with thousands. And, and they were under slavery, of course. They called out to God, and God delivered them through Moses and Aaron going in. And we understand the, the miraculous thing that happened when God heard their call and was going to bring them out of Egypt into this promised land. And he did it in a miraculous way. There were the plagues. Uh, they went out basically plundering Egypt. It was incredible. It was intense. It's movie worthy. It's a Hollywood story. And we enjoyed going back and seeing that. But it's true. And God brought them out. They were pursued. They were chased. They got right up to the Red Sea, and God sort of blocks the Egyptian army while he parts the Red Sea, and they cross, not even in the mud, but on dry land, and they, God, the Egyptians get excited and follow him in, and God washes them away, essentially defeating the enemy, separating the past and the future. They're sort of baptized through the Red Sea, and they walk into uh, this future, and they get uh, the law, and God makes these incredible, is teaching them who he is. He's given them his character and his nature. He prepares them and he brings them right up to this point where they could have entered into the promised land. And they went in and they saw this walled city with these massive, huge walls, with these people that they felt outnumbered by that were better armed and better equipped. And they panicked and they said, we can't do it. There are too many. They're too big. We know what we don't have 
what it takes. We know we can't go in and take Jericho. And the spies went in. Only two came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. You guys know this. And they came out. Joshua, the same Joshua I'm about to talk about. He said, we can take it. And that battle between fear and faith, in that moment, they took their eyes. The battle between fear and faith, we're going to look at this, is going to be fought with your eyes. I know I'm simplifying a little bit, but I think this, it'll help you, te- help you learn this. Not necessarily with your physical eyes when I say that. Understand the eyes of your heart and, and our attention and our worship, honestly. The first set of Israelites that made it up to these walls, they were looking in, right? They were looking in, and they saw in their own hearts, we don't have what it takes. And that battle between faith and fear ended in fear and not faith. And when they came back, they said, we can't, we're not strong enough. They were right. But what they forgot to take into account was the fact that God, the sovereign God, the same God that brought them out of Egypt, the same God that swallowed up the Egyptian army was the very same God that was going to bring them into Jericho, the very same God who was going to bring them into the promised land. Their attention was inward. They were focused on themselves. They took inventory of who they were and what they were all about and all of their resources, and they said, we can't. And they walked away paralyzed by fear instead of propelled by faith. And what we want to be is the kind of individuals, the kind of families, and then ultimately the kind of fellowship that's propelled by genuine faith in God. When he speaks, we hear and we obey, doing exactly what he had us to say. And when we do that, I think our story can mirror the story that God gave here in all those different arenas in our life. And so let's look at this. Let me give you some some background because some of you guys I know, I get this. You come to stories like this and it sounds mythological. When I say Hollywood, you're like, yeah, Hollywood for sure. Maybe somebody drug you here and you're like, I don't know if I believe all this. Maybe you've been struggling with some doubts. I want you to know that Jericho is a real place west of the Jordan. And there have been several really intensive archaeological studies done at Jericho. And you'd be surprised what they found there. They found a, a walled city that were these massive walls that were there. They were 11 feet high, 14 feet wide. And we don't get some of this from archaeology, some of this from scripture, but it's confirmed with the archaeology. On the top, there was like a smooth stone slope angling about 35 degrees for 35 feet. And it joins massive stone thick walls. And there was a circular tower in the middle that we did find. Uh, with archaeology. And, and the crazy thing is, is that in this city, they find the walls that were there that are caved in. And one of the archaeologists, ar- archaeologists <laughs> said that it was almost as if God took his finger and just wiped away the wall. Isn't that crazy? One of the archaeologists that said that. So we find these walls knocked down, but guess what's knocked down? Knocked down. The gate wasn't knocked down. Isn't that crazy? Like you never knocked down the wall. Right? You knock down the gate and then you go inside. But essentially you find God had actually done this. So before you rule this out, you're like, oh, this is that Old Testament stuff where everything's a big myth. No, Jericho is right where it's supposed to be. You can go and see it today. And what you'll find, three different people, some secular, some biblical, they argue over dates, but they don't argue about the walls and the pottery and everything else was there, that this was a place. It took about an hour to walk around. And it's not a huge place, but it is a real place. And uh, maybe you'll, you'll have the opportunity to go visit uh, that someday. It'd be pretty, pretty amazing. So, so when I'm telling you this, I'm not talking about some, some spiritual myth that was recorded in the Bible to motivate the Israelites and sort of fill out their history and keep them encouraged while they're in, you know, some sort of, you know, that's not why this is here. This is here because it's historically accurate to what actually happened. And because we know that God actually did this, we can look at our very real lives, right? Our very real lives and know that this very same God that acted here is able to act in it. So here they are. Their hearts are prepared. Steve did a great job preaching uh, what was going on at Gilgal. Their, Their hearts are ready. They've prepared. They've crossed the Jordan. This generation has seen Uh, the power of God. They've crossed the Jordan on dry land, just like the previous generation crossed on the Red Sea. And here they are standing right before the battle. Let's look at this. I want to, I want to dig into this. And and as I do, I want you to, I want you to be listening for this statement that I'll come back to throughout. Faith induced obedience to God's commands, no matter 
foolish they may seem, leads to victory. I'll say it again. Faith-induced obedience to God's commands, no matter how foolish they may seem, leads to victory. So let's look at this passage real quick. I'm going to start in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. It's a lot, but the story's awesome. So I'm just going to keep reading. Hang with me, okay? Here we go with verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once. He's given instructions here, so listen. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Covenant. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, if I'm a, if I'm a general, and I'm not, <laughs> but if I were, I would look at this and say, this is not a military strategy. This is like some kind of goofy, you know, something that you would tell people to do to like encourage them. But what about the battle? Like you've got the, 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 the army of, of God, the leader. You've got God himself speaking to you, telling you instructions on how to go into battle. I'd be like, do I left flank, do I right flank? What kind of siege weapons am I supposed to build? Like give me a little bit. And instead God's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab seven priests with seven ram's horns. I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to, it's going to take a week, okay? On, on the first day of the week, I want you to walk around the city one time. It'll take about an hour, so start early, okay? And then I want you to blow these ram's horns all the way. People got to be quiet all the way around, these warriors. Do that again on the next day, and again on the next day, and again on the next day. Just, you know, do the same thing over and over. Finally, on the last day, I want you to do that seven times. And then, here's the big battle plan. I want you to shout. <laughs> shout, okay? Uh, and, and then, so, here we go. Let's, let's read. Remember the statement I said? Got a little caveat in the middle. No matter how foolish they may see. Verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of Ramsworth, before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets. And the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. It's a solid hour. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Can you imagine the conversation around the campfire that night? <laughs> so, what'd you guys do today? Kids are asking. Oh, we uh, made some real progress. We, uh, seven guys blew trumpets for a long time. And it kind of got annoying after a while, but God told us to do this, so we, we walked around the city. And then we came home. So that's what we did today. And we're like, okay. And we're like, God told us to do this, so we're going to do it. But you know what? Let's pull Now, let me tell you what those people start shouting at us. <laughs> so, let's keep reading. Verse 12. So then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once, and returned to the camp. 
So they did for six days. <laughs> Anybody seen the Veggie Tales on this? <laughs> like getting taunted by the by the people we laugh about that. Like, like I, I don't know. We know from the encounter with Rahab that the spies had that that there was there was a little fear. It's very likely that some of the people there who knew the stories, some of the people there who knew what God had done, were thought, "We're going to need these walls. This God that they have is." He's fierce. But there may have been some who were like, okay, y'all walking around the city. What are you going to do tomorrow, guys? Like, can you imagine after day four? I mean, they're probably just out of bow range, you know, walking around, and, and, and they're just shouting out, you know, do you think your God is going to? So on and so forth. Here's the worst part. Joshua told them they couldn't say a word. They couldn't say anything back, like, you wait. You know, like they couldn't even, they couldn't even reply like we want to. You start getting angry. You know, they're not even allowed to speak. So they're like, shh, you know, shushing each other all the way around. They've done this for six days. It's starting to get a little tired, but at the same time, anticipation's building. And the whole time, Joshua's like, God told us to do this. This is the battle plan. And they're like, I don't get it, but we're going to do it because that's what God said. So here we go, verse 15. It says, on the seventh day, they rose early at dawn, at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. That would have taken a while. That's like more than you would want your army to walk before a big battle, right? I mean, it's close to seven hours probably based on what we know of, of this place. Probably seven solid hours of, of walking. This was, this was taking a while. Quiet the whole time. It says, and at the seventh time, anticipation building all week long, silent, they've been yelled at, they've been taunted, they've been looking at these walls. You know what I mean? In a weird sense, it's almost like God's like, I want you to get 360 degree view of these impenetrable walls. I want you for an entire week, you're going to be an expert on every square inch of this wall. You're going to have walked around it and you're going to see that there are absolutely no, there's no way. You're going to do this yourself. There's no doubt about it. You're going to see this wall from every possible angle. And here they are. This anticipation is building. And here we go. On the seventh day, they rose early. They get right here. And some, it says, it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. Verse 16. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, been quiet, Joshua said to the people, shout. For the Lord has given you the city. All right? It says, In this city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have, or when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and all gold and every vessel of the bronze of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So he gives them a warning. He's like, I want you to go in. Now we're gonna we're not gonna get into this. This is gonna happen next week. We're gonna dig into this because there's just not enough time today to deal with every bit of this. And we've already talked about Rahab. Beautiful story of God's grace. Right in the middle of him pouring out his judgment, you're seeing those with faith being rescued. It's a beautiful thing. But you also see him saying, I want all of this. This is the first fruits of their conquest into the promised land. And God's like, I want you to devote every bit of this, all of it, to me. So the really good stuff, the bronze and the iron, that goes into the treasury. That's set apart. It's a holy week. Set apart, not for common use, but for my use. Those go into, uh, those go to God. And everything else burns. It's really interesting, back to the archaeology for just a second. All the archaeologists constantly talk about the three feet of ash in, in Jericho, what they find there. And the fact that all of these baskets and, and pottery are full of grain. We know from when they crossed the Red Sea, this is the flood season, this was the time of the harvest, that it would have been at a time that they would have all had full things of grain. They would have had all their food there. Now, if you're normally going to siege a city like Jericho, you starve them out, right? But that's a very problematic thing because it's been, it's a spring. They've got all their food still. Plus, there's a spring. The archaeologists have found a spring, which would have been inside.
all, so they have water uh, while they're there. It would have taken forever to starve them out, but it's interesting to me that they all their grain was still there. Isn't that wild? Those two. And Joshua looks at these people who've been walking around the city, and he's like, here are the instructions. Give to God what is God's. Don't take anything, or else you'll bring reproach. You'll bring destruction on our camp. Don't, don't pick up anything. Stick it in your pockets, people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in and just conquer the city. He says, shout. And so the people looking at this, I mean, picture this for a second. You got armed guards up on top of the wall that are watching, possibly taunting. And all of a sudden, after just silence, they're probably starting to get a weird feeling about these Israelites who've been quiet all this time, nothing but the horns. And all of a sudden, after seven hours, they turn around and look inward, and all of a sudden, there's this shout. You know, and it probably went on for a minute. And like a sound wave, you know, went shot forth like knocking down the walls it wasn't their voices it's like a kid you know you know what i'm saying like when they when they do a little something and you're behind them and make it happen like all of a sudden the hand of god acts and knocks down this wall i don't know what it would have looked like if it would have been an earthquake or how exactly it happened god knocks down this wall while the people are shouting like it would have been amazing can you imagine being in that army I mean, you've wondered. They've never actually been in a real battle before. They're looking for They've never actually had to draw their sword and run in at anybody. And they're looking at these walls. They're nervous about this. They've been 40 years in the wilderness. They haven't fought any battles. This is the first one. And all of a sudden, you know, the walls come down. These impenetrable walls that they've become experts on were laying down like ramps into the city. I mean, the enemy, can you imagine their response? I mean, they're routed before they even start running at the city. Everybody's probably ducking and covering and running away. It's incredible. God knocks down these walls. It was not the power of their, their voices or their mind control. God acted on their behalf and knocked down these walls. It's incredible. So they shout the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city. And every man straight before him, and they captured the city, and then they devoted all in the city to destruction. Both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua... Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. And at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. And that settlement went unsettled for a few thousand years. God led them to conquer this very first step. So as we see this, as we walk through it, I want you to know something. And I'm going to step aside from what I really want you to take away to deal with something, because I understand a lot of us have questions. And when you look at this in Scripture, this is the big picture of it is that God leads them to conquer these people. But some of you thinkers may be like, well, this is harsh. God has told them to do something that's very harsh. That even in our, it would, this is not Geneva Convention warfare, right? And we're looking at this with our human eyes and saying, whoa, this is some intense commands from the Lord. And, and I'm grateful that God has not left me in a position to try and answer why he did this. He has told us exactly why he did this. And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 9, 
You see in verse 4 and 6, or 4 through 6, I'll read it to you, then together. God is speaking. He says, do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. This is speaking of the future conquest. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of the nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Isn't that awesome? God says, I'm going to judge the wicked. We don't have time to go into it, but these were one of the most wicked civilizations ever on earth. Steve's gone over it the last several weeks. We've seen them sacrifice their children to Molech, which was a horrifying experience. Unbelievable the way that they worshiped. They would go in and they would go and be with temple prostitutes so that God would bless and make them more fertile and bless the harvest. You know, there, there were all these things of worship that were 100% opposite to the way that God's told us to worship him. And God was going to deal with this. And I believe that so there wouldn't be many, many generations, thousands of generations that would have continued on with this very same way of thinking. God in his grace and mercy ended it where it was so that another generation and another generation and another generation would be corrupted. But you also need to know that in other places in scripture, God makes it clear that he waited and he waited and he waited and he waited generations for them to come to a place of repentance, for them to turn away from their wicked ways. And God eventually acted. He would no longer tolerate sin. Now, <clears throat> for us, and this is tough, but for us when we look at scripture and we have objections to the behavior of God or the commands of God, and we look at this and we say, man, this is tough. It's important for us to remember that, that all of those go back to our way of thinking. You see, they usually center around this whole idea that, that God is a better version of us. Does that make sense? We've sort of decided God should be a, a bigger and better version of us. So I should have a pretty good sense of what's right and what's, what's good or what's evil. And God should sort of be the perfection of what I imagine to be good. But what I want to remind you is, is that God is not a bigger and better version of us. He is God. We are, we are made in his image, but he is God. And, and he sees what we don't see, what we don't understand. He's the definition of character. He's the definition of what is good and holy. He's not an upgraded human. He is God. He is love. He's perfect. He's incapable of sin and injustice. And he's also compelled by justice because he's righteous and he's holy. He's never lied. He's never, God has never asked anyone to forgive him. He's never said, my bad. Okay? We can't comprehend that. And, and out of us and our humanity, we've had to apologize so often, and we've appreciated the grace and mercy of people, but we've needed, because we're human and we, we fail, that's part of the rhythm of kind of operating, we sort of understand that God is on a whole new level. He is holy, he's righteous, and he's just. He doesn't tolerate sin at any level. And while we as believers are able to experience grace, we understand it came at a great cost. God loves to forgive, but he's never let sin go unpunished. He never will. He never will. And this is why for us, and this is crazy, this is why for us, the answer to eternal life and, and forgiveness and healing with God and restoration to him is not try and do better because we've already blown it. The answer is we need someone to bear the wrath of God in our place. And we need someone to impute to us, to give to us righteousness instead of our unrighteousness, to give us a sinless record in place of our sinful record. We needed someone to endure our punishment in our place so that we could experience the blessing and relationship and intimacy with God. Sin went punished. And if you don't believe me about this, you'll see this on the cross. God poured out his wrath on him. And sin has never gone unpunished. 
But you can receive the grace of God because he endured that wrath in your place. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. So now we can be forgiven of right standing with God. But God has never been okay with sin. The gospel is not God knows your weakness. He's okay with it. He gets your human. Nobody's perfect. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God is perfect. And the only way to heaven is perfection. We've all fallen short of that. But God in his love for us came and took our place, took the punishment for us in so that he's able to offer us grace. It came at great cost, but it's free to you by faith. Isn't that beautiful? And we respond in worship and obedience. When we come to this place in scripture and we see God do something difficult, what we see is, is this in our hearts. And, we see, and I read this and as I was working through this. I'll quote it to you. It said, those who object to God's judgment of Canaan on the basis of the nation's innate innocence, simply demonstrate a denial of the biblical testimony as to man's condition. In other words, it's like saying, God, you can't judge those people, these innocent people in Canaan. Here's the thing, and this is tough to understand, the way God explains our biblical condition, there are no innocent people. There are none. The only only time there's ever been an innocent person that was killed was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's the only time it's ever happened. And so this is tough for us to get, and it's painful. It's hard to look at. We start thinking about how this actually played out in Jericho. But God is God. He's the creator of all things. We can't comprehend his righteousness. And when we object to what he's told them to do, it generally comes back to us not understanding the human sinful condition and us dumbing down the righteousness of God. And what we have to do is simply say, I don't understand. It is difficult for me. This is not uh, God's design for warfare. This is not a, a blueprint for how we need to operate. God hates all of those things. But God chooses to act in this way. And because we have the entire canon of scripture, we see who he is. We can stand back from this, which would have absolutely been a horrific scene and very difficult. And we can say, praise God, you know what is good. And we submit to that even though we don't understand it. It's a difficult thing as a Christian. But what we can understand is that our God is good. And when God judges sin, it's hard for us to understand because we're so sinful. But we understand that he is righteous and he is good. But we see this moment. I feel like I need to deal with that. I work with teenagers a lot. And we don't deal with doubts. We don't deal with questions enough, I think, in the church, honestly. I just want to say, if you've got questions about it, if you find things that are difficult to understand in Scripture, there are answers. There are answers to every little detail and every nuance of the question you might ask, but there's way more than you would possibly imagine. And let's take those things head on. But anyway, let's get back to where we are. So what are we, what are we supposed to walk away from, from this passage of Scripture, from this, this scene where God comes in, knocks down these walls, and they were able to go into this promised land? The first thing I want you to get is what I've told you before. Faith-induced obedience to God's command, no matter how foolish they sound, leads to victory. There's this huge gap, y'all, between the way that God operates in his ways and our ways. And so when we, in our arrogance, look at God's commands and say, I don't see the wisdom of that, we're going to miss something, y'all. I'm telling you, it's true. God's ways are higher. And so when he gives us commands in Scripture that no longer seem to work with our culture— that, that our culture is sort of saying, no, no, we don't like that. We need to update that in the word of God. We need to twist and change this, or that doesn't sound like it's all that great. Let's, let's move this. No matter how foolish it sounds, when God says, do this, it always leads to victory. When we, when we obey in faith, we're going to experience victory in our life where we would not have. It's a beautiful thing. And that's tough for us to understand because right now so much of Scripture is under attack, and people say, well, that's an old book, it's unwise, you don't need that anymore, uh, the rules in it are restrictive in our lives, you've got to be crazy for living the way that you're living, can't you enjoy life a little bit, I mean, come on, don't I deserve this, don't you deserve that, like, God can't possibly want you to do that, and what they forget is that God's commands when obeyed in faith lead to victory in our life, they lead to joy, they lead to abundant life, God has promised all these wonderful things on the other side of obedience. And we sit there paralyzed by fear rather than propelled by faith in God's commands. We're going to get stuck. We're going to be looking at the walls forever. And I believe that God wants us to have 
wounds of him. I told you that this battle will be fought with your eyes and not the physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart. I want you to catch this. This goes to so many places in, in our walk with Christ. And Spurgeon said this. I love this. Somebody, we were, we were down here, uh, I guess, Wednesday night. He was like, who would you want to spend a few hours with and have coffee with? And, and at that moment, like, Charles Spurgeon came to mind. Here's one of the reasons why. Spurgeon says this, kind of talking to, we're talking about Hebrews 12 here. And he says, look at Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the joy set before us went from Christ. Anyway, he says this, it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this, for he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates, your sins are too great for pardon, and you have no faith. You do not repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You, you have joy, but not the joy of his children. You have such a wavering hold on Jesus. All these thoughts are about self. And we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. And he tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is all in all. So what we remember is it's not our hold on Christ that saves us, but it's his hold on us. And as long as we're looking at our hand that's holding on, and we're like, I think I got a good grip. You know, my forefinger is on there good. My pinky is strong. I got this, but this one's a little loose. So no, I'm kind of worried. As long, when we're even looking at our hand that's holding on to Christ, we're still not looking at Christ. We're looking inwardly at our own confidence, our own obedience, our own things like that. We're missing it. And all the point of this is the Holy Spirit is trying to draw our attention away from self, which is always going to point to sufficiency and lead you to a place of fear. If you're honest with yourself. But when we look to Christ, I mean, really look to Christ, not look to how you prayed the prayer, not look to at your, you know, this and this and this, and did you follow all the, it's, we get bogged down and we're looking at what we can control. And all the time, God's like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at the cross when you doubt my character, look at my promises when you doubt my faithfulness. Look at my strength when you feel overwhelmed. Look at who I am when you feel outnumbered. Look at what is going to happen in eternity when you despair about your present. He's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. I got this. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, he tells him. Everywhere you set your feet, you're going to have victory. You will go into the promised land. The victory is yours. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Obey everything that I've commanded you. Walk in by faith. Not because you're strong, but because I'm strong. Go in and possess the land. That's the deal. It's looking at him. And all the while, the enemy wants us constantly to be looking at ourselves. There's that hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That is how we walk, looking to Christ. So as we see how God moves us forward, the second thing I'm thinking is this. Uh, really just uh, looking at walls leads to fear. And there's all kinds of walls in our life, and you know where they are. I don't have to make a list for you because you've been looking at them. You've been circling around. You probably know what they are. The walls in your marriage, walls in your personal life, walls in your private life, walls in your public life, what, walls in your, your business, walls in your ministry. What, there's so many. You know what they are. But looking at walls, when I say looking at walls, I mean looking at this impregnable obstacles to progress. <laughs> we look at these walls. It leads us to a place of fear. But looking at God leads us to a place of faith. And that's why the enemy turns your attention back to you. He is the accuser. And always, constantly, when you go to that sin, when you go to that place of weakness, when you go to that, that calling, that task that God's called you to, when there's that thing that he's telling you to advance, and he keeps pointing back at yourself. He did it with Moses. He's like, you're not a good speaker. It's just his go-to plan. He does it all the time. Look through scripture. He's constantly like, hey, uh, God said he wanted to do something cool, but you're not anywhere near good enough for this. That's what his, his go-to thing is. Third thing I want to share. You will either be paralyzed by fear or propelled by faith. I've been saying it all the time. I want you to catch that. You'll either be paralyzed by fear or propelled by faith. None of the great battles in scripture 
where one is the people who remains strong and awesome. Right? The battles that are won in Scripture are always won because God chose to work through people who believed he would do what he said he would do. And God poured out his power on them. Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, right? We go back and we look at it, we see all these times where it's just this list of the patriarchs and the prophets and all these people who God worked on their behalf. I want to read sort of the tail end where it talks about this story. I want to read this to you. It's, it's Hebrews 11 and verse 29. You can go back and read the whole thing with your family at lunch if you want to. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more do I say? For, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is beautiful, y'all. He's saying throughout scripture, all this insane, what a list, right? These people sort of won life. I mean, it was incredible, yet they didn't even get to experience what was promised. And that is Christ, by the way. It's beautiful in this gospel that he's sharing with them. It's, it's awesome. But they were looking ahead to what God was going to do. And they were looking to Christ when they faced their circumstances while they were alive. And they moved forward. And God did impossible things with them. And they had perspective that wasn't stuck on the walls. And they lived lives that did not correspond to earthly reality. Their lives are more in sync with heavenly reality. And that's why he's saying, man, these people weren't even worthy of this world. They took beatings and floggings because they were like, but, but there's eternity. And, and there's Christ, and I've got a better reward. They lost all things here so that they were able to gain what was ahead of them. This is beautiful. Y'all, their perspective led them to do Things that sounded foolish. They obeyed the commands of God, even though they sound foolish, and it led them to a place of victory through faith. We experience God's grace in life the same way we experience grace and salvation, just like those here. Like God's grace through faith that He provides for us, and we act on that faith in obedience. And that obedience becomes evidence of the faith that we have. Joshua could have said, we believe you can knock the walls down, but we don't feel like walking down, walking around the walls. We would prefer if you just knocked them down today. We don't really want to wait a week, and we'll probably be tired after walking around seven times. So guess what? We're going to shout after the first time. Like, we're going to modify what you told us to do, because it's just foolish. And come on, God. Like, this is just too much. I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. Can't we just kind of ease this up a little bit, get to the point? We know where you're going. Like, can we just go ahead? And... That never happens. We just obey, even when it sounds foolish. It's not enough to say, I believe God and sit on the couch. When he's told you to move forward, demonstrate your faith by obedience and you'll experience the victory and joy and abundance that comes with that, right? We sort of know that in our heart. It's not about you. It's always about God's power, but you're never going to experience the victory until you put your foot in the land, just like God told you to do, right? He said, wherever you put your foot, I've already given you the land. Guaranteed, if you get there, you've got victory. So everywhere you put your feet is yours. He'd be like, well, cool. We're just going to claim it from the couch. <laughs> Sour land. You know, there's action involved. I'll say this. 
those guys is dead. You can say you have faith, but Paul said, tell me you have faith, I'll show you my faith, but I don't do. That's the, that's the difference. You can tell me you have faith, that's nice, but I'll be able to see it in your life if you believe what God's commanded you to do. And when we act on that faith, oh, beautiful things start happening. Beautiful things start happening. And that's where it's the rub, right? It's, it's actually acting on those things. That's what, that's what becomes very difficult. Last thing I, I, I want to say to you before I close and respond is this. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. It's easy to come back and say, well, we'll do part of that. And you'll see this more as we get to the battle of AI next week. You'll see this played out. But partial obedience is not obedience at all. Listen, if God sent you into a stronghold, Jericho is a stronghold. If God's speaking to your heart right now, he's sending you into a stronghold to go and annihilate a sin in your life. And it's not Geneva Convention warfare. It's total annihilation he's asking for in your life of this sin. He's not asking you to manage it well. He's not asking you to put more space between you know, this sin and the next one. He's saying, I want you to go obliterate that thing. Leave, leave nothing standing. Burn it to the ground. And God's saying, go there. And you're like, I don't know about that. Maybe I'll keep a little bit for me. Listen, partial obedience is not obedience. And what we understand is that God wants us to experience all that he has for us. And we hold something back that's, that's the beginnings of idolatry in our lives where we're saying, that is more important to me. And God, it's, it's really a demonstration of a lack of faith. It's saying, God, I know you're saying joy is on the other side of this obedience, but I'm going to have a backup plan and keep a little idol over here to keep me happy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a little bit over here to, to give me a little satisfaction and joy in my life because don't I deserve to be happy? I can't give up everything, God. You can't ask me to do that in that area. I mean, come on. Listen, you'll be surprised what God lets you keep. But if you'll devote it to the Lord and let him have what he has to have, if you'll destroy what he asks you to destroy, if you'll obey what he tells you to obey, even if it seems foolish, there is joy on the other end that's unspeakable. Ask anybody who's been there. You can probably remember a season of your life where you did that. And was not that the happiest moments of your, your life? Do you ever regret, knowing what you experienced ever, have you ever regretted any of those decisions to lay those things down? No, those were like the best moments, right? And yet somehow we start looking at the walls again. We start looking at ourselves again and we stop obeying and we start trying to manage sin and we start trying to figure out ways to sort of make ourselves happy rather than looking to Christ. We start being religious, we start hiding, we start... Just find ourselves wandering, walking in circles. Listen, I, I genuinely think that God's causing, I love what Esther said, I, I think God's cause, calling us as a church to be obedient even to the foolish things. And there may be some of us who need to walk around the house today and shout. <laughs> right? Be like, I'm done sinning and failing in this way. I'm sick of it. I'm done. God said to lay this down, and so I'm going to be obedient with that. I'm going to do it. God called me out to be obedient in this area, and I'm sick of saying no. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to act on that. I'm going to step forward into the calling he has for me. I'm going to step forward in a ministry I've been scared to do. I'm going to do things I know I'm not capable of doing. I'm going to prepare and do whatever he tells me to do. I'm going to move ahead. Guys, can I be honest with you? If God continues on the path that he's going with our church, God has put us in a position where we, he's put us in a position to influence our community and share the gospel with the lost. We're going to have resources like we never had. We're going to have opportunity like we never had. And our, our community is more desperate than it's ever been for Jesus. God's called us to a place like that. Listen, I believe he's preparing us to move forward and to do something incredible. I believe he's doing that in your family. I believe he's doing it you personally. And, and we don't want to miss it because we're looking at ourselves and saying we don't have enough, we're weak enough, we're, we're, they're not enough of us, we're outnumbered, we, we don't have the resources, or there are obstacles in our path. Listen, forget it. If God moves us forward and he says go, we're going to go. And we're going to say yes. That's going to affect us on an individual level. It's going to affect us as a family. Man, there's a lot of stuff I got to learn. There's a lot of messed up stuff in my life. I'm preaching to myself right now. I got to go home and deal with stuff in my own heart, just like you do. Like, but we got to say yes. So what I want to do is I want to simply open this up. And we're going to have the band come and play. We're just going to leave space here. And what we want you to do 
is you can use this like an altar. You can go wherever you're comfortable. I mean, this may be really foolish. God may say, it's a foolish thing. I want you to, I want you to walk up to the front and kneel down before me, and I want you just to pray. <laughs> or God may say something foolish. It's silly. But I want you to go and tell Pastor Steve that you're struggling with, and I want you to actually be praying with you. Or there's somebody in here I know could be my accountability uh, for this area, and I want them to walk through this with me. I want them to take this sword with me. I want them to help me deal with this in my life. There's somebody that needs to mentor me in an area I know God's called me to work on. And God may call you to do that right now. He may call you to come and pray. Listen, if you come, I want you to know that the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, so we're not sending you home to build siege lines. Okay? We're not going to, like, that's not the deal here. We're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to supernaturally tear down walls of life. And then we're together as a family going to walk through that. Now, I'm going to put all that on Steve and we'll put him on speed out and 100 people calling him a day being like, I need, we're going we're gonna to do this together. You know what I mean? This is why we're leading towards small groups, why we're moving in that way. You got to get involved in each other's lives so that we disciple one another like iron sharpening iron, leading ourselves to obedience that causes us to get out and say it in our community. God's going to do some cool things. So I'm going to pray. And you come, you ask and Steve will be here, some of our elders, others who God's called to, to do that kind of thing. Let's just respond to the Lord, see where he leads us. Father, we are overwhelmed by the intensity of what you told us to do. You told us to do impossible things. And everything in our heart says nothing's going to change. But God, we know that you're powerful and you're capable and you're able. And we want to offer up this little wimpy little shout right now just to praise you, God. I pray we not be paralyzed by that fear, that we'd be propelled by faith that comes from knowing that you do what you say you will do and your promises always come true. Strong, you told us to be courageous, to not give in to the spirit of fear, to walk into the victory you've already purchased for us in Christ by faith, not in our own strength. So we have no excuses. So God, we submit before you, we surrender before you, and we ask you for the glory of your name. Move us forward. Help us to respond. Make it feel foolish the way that you tell us to do this thing. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.